Hey, it's Alexis Asadi, and welcome to episode 34 of Income Investing, a show that explores different investments that produce income and or dividends. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the long weekend. I actually went back to my high school for a ceremony there to honor our veterans. It has now been 100 years since the end of World War I, so this year's memorial was especially notable. Now, as you probably realized, I did take last week off, but I'm back and I'm energized and I'm ready for the topic of today's discussion. So today we're going to talk about exchange-traded notes or ETNs. So I hope you're ready for this too. So ETNs are somewhat of an exotic investment, and I would assume that probably most people haven't heard of them before. But they are available for investment, and given that our last couple of episodes were about exchange-traded funds or ETFs, I thought that now would be a good time to introduce them. For anyone who's checking out this podcast for the first time, I appreciate you joining. My name is Alexis Asadi. I am your grateful host, and this show is built around covering any and all assets that can produce a monthly or a quarterly income. So we look at anything from direct ownership in real estate to indirect property ownership through vehicles like real estate investment trusts or REITs and single asset real estate companies. We also look at investment funds and mortgages. We'll look at dividend stocks, royalty companies, tax lien certificates, and countless other opportunities. Now, as you may know, the benefits of income investments are plentiful. First, you can use the dividends to supplement your regular income, whether that's from employment or otherwise. So you might use it to offset your phone bills or to help pay for some of your rent, or perhaps you can build it to a point where your dividends are large enough to live on altogether. If you can get there, that's a state known as financial freedom or financial independence. Second, a lot of these investments can also appreciate in value. So in addition to earning a passive income, you can also realize a capital gain. So in a lot of ways, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Third, there's a ton of diversity in the income investment ecosystem. You can get income in all kinds of sectors, whether it's in energy or in real estate, resources, financing, utilities, and more. As such, you can create an investment portfolio that generates multiple streams of cash flow, in various asset classes, in various markets, in various countries. And fourth, many of these assets will also trade on the stock market. As such, they can be purchased for a relatively small amount of money, often for under a few hundred dollars. So as with every time, let's do a quick recap. I always encourage you to listen to this podcast in chronological order because I try to build up on the prior discussions. If you don't want to start all the way back in episode one, that's completely fine, but I would at least recommend rewinding to, say, episode number 23, because that's where we started our current segment. So we began the Income Investing Podcast all the way in episodes one and two by discussing real estate investment trusts, or REITs. After that, we went on to mortgage lending for a couple of months, and here we are today in the third segment of the show where we're covering investment funds. As you're going to see, today's episode will be a little bit of a deviation, but the investment fund is still sort of the broad umbrella that we're under. So an investment fund is a business that pools money from a group of investors, and then it deploys that capital into various securities. It might invest into bonds or stocks, could invest into real estate, energy, basically anything that you could imagine. The idea, though, is for the fund to produce a financial return for its shareholders or its unit holders. Investors usually like them because they can get broad access to a particular asset class. A fund will also have a manager who is typically paid a percentage of the assets under management, also known as AUM. 
The fund will also have a mandate or an objective beyond simply making money for investors. It might aim to produce a monthly income, it might shoot for aggressive growth through speculation, or it might even concentrate on specific strategies like short selling. There is a plethora of investment funds out there, large, small, private, public, and there is likely something for everyone. In episode number 27, we discussed a particular type of investment fund called a mortgage fund. So mortgage funds either lend money directly to borrowers or they purchase debt instruments and mortgage-backed securities. So they're fairly common income investment since mortgage payments usually occur on a monthly basis, and they're one of my personal favorites. A couple of weeks after that, we moved on to real estate funds, which either own real estate or real estate businesses. And then from there, we explored something called a single asset real estate company. Now, these are not technically investment funds, but they do share some of the same features. While single asset real estate companies do raise capital from investors, they only ever purchase one property rather than a portfolio of them. Then we switch gears to a very popular type of investment fund called an exchange traded fund or ETF. So these are funds that trade on the stock market. Now, in most cases, ETFs are not actively managed. Instead, they track an index like the New York Stock Exchange. The manager might rebalance the ETF's portfolio once in a while, but they're otherwise pretty much left alone. And since they're pretty passive investments, ETF management fees are usually a fraction of what most other funds will charge. Now, once in a while in this podcast, we'll come across a topic that's a little bit more tangential, and then I'll follow that to wherever it may lead. For example, after talking about mortgage funds, we then spent an entire episode on how the US and Canadian governments will boost their real estate markets through entities like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the Canada Housing Trust. So that was episode number 28. Basically, we saw that some mortgage funds will buy into Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and so forth, and somehow that led into the entire episode being dedicated to them. Now, after spending the last two weeks on exchange-traded funds, we're now going to look at another rabbit hole that I want to go down. And this rabbit hole is called the Exchange Traded Note, or ETN. Now, if you haven't listened to episodes 32 and 33, which were all about ETFs, I highly recommend that you do so. It's otherwise going to be a little bit challenging to understand today's podcast without knowing what we talked about earlier. However, before we do that, let's get to a quick question from one of our listeners. Remember, if you'd like to get clarity on a subject or maybe even suggest a new topic for discussion, please do let me know at alexisasadi.net slash podcast. This is actually a really important component of the show, at least for me, because it lets me know what people want to hear. All right, so today's question is from Julian, who is appropriately in Washington, D.C., and Julian wrote me the following message. Hey, Alexis, now that the Democrats took control of the U.S. House of Representatives, do you think that it will have an effect on the economy or on the stock market? And if so, would the Democrats make them better or worse? So, Julian, thanks for your question. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think that the new makeup of the House is going to have too much of an impact on the economy. Uh, President Trump already passed his major corporate tax cut, and his activity with respect to deregulation is happening in the executive branch, not really at the legislative level. Also, a lot of the major federal officials and judges are confirmed in the Senate rather than in the House of Representatives. Now, obviously, it would be nice if the House could continue to work on big picture items like healthcare reform, which would have long term implications for the economy, but I don't really see an immediate chain reaction where the Democrats take their seats in the House in January 2019, and then by the summer, the markets have either cratered or ballooned. The stock market might gyrate initially, but I would be surprised if it was much more than that. However, the presidential elections in 2020 would presumably have massive economic implications. So I mean, we should generally pay attention to all elections, 
but the 2020 election is going to be super important. Okay, so let's get to the topic of today's conversation. Uh, Today, we're going to go through the exchange traded note or ETN. So an ETN is a loan that pays a return at the rate of an underlying index, such as the TSX or the NASDAQ. ETNs are typically issued by banks as a way for them to borrow money. So when you invest in one, you are either lending money to the bank or you're buying the loan contract from someone else who loaned money to a bank. ETNs are sort of like a blend between a bond and an exchange-traded fund or ETF. They're similar to bonds in that they're a debt that the bank has to repay. And they're similar to ETFs in that they follow an index and they're publicly traded. So you can buy ETNs and you can sell them on the markets. However, ETF investors are shareholders or unit holders in the fund, which subsequently owns securities in the index. Whatever returns the index produces gets passed on to the ETF, and then the ETF pays its management fees, and then the rest goes to investors. When you invest in an ETN, you don't necessarily know how the bank is going to generate a return for you. The bank's obligation is to produce a return in accordance with the index that it's trying to track. But you're a creditor or a lender. You're not a shareholder. So when you invest in an ETN, you don't actually own any positions in the stocks of that index. For example, if an ETN tracks the NASDAQ, then you'd presumably earn a rate of return that is similar to the NASDAQ's. But you wouldn't be an investor in the companies that trade on the NASDAQ, like Apple. Rather, the bank just has to pay you the promised return. An ETF with a similar mandate, on the other hand, would probably own a piece of every single company on the NASDAQ, so you'd be an indirect shareholder in companies like Apple. Like an ETF, an exchange-traded note can track whatever index it wants. Right now, there are four major types, ETNs that track commodity prices, currency prices, emerging markets, and strategies like short selling or leveraged investments. For example, the iPath GEMS Asia 8 ETN is designed to provide investors with exposure to the Barclays Global Emerging Markets Strategy Asia 8 Index. So that investment is a play on currencies like the Indonesian Rupiah, the Indian Rupee, the Philippine Peso, the South Korean Won, the Thai Baht, the Malaysia Ringgit, the Taiwanese Dollar, and the Chinese Won. There's also the iPath Bloomberg Livestock Subindex ETN, which tracks the price of futures contracts on lean hogs and live cattle. So exchange-traded notes can give you access to some pretty specific markets. Also like an ETF, ETNs come with fees, so the rate of return payable to the investor will always be net of those expenses. So what are the advantages of ETNs over ETFs? Well, since an ETN is a loan, investors will have a claim to the bank's assets if it goes bankrupt. An investor in an ETF normally wouldn't have any claim on the bank's property. At most, she would have a claim to the specific fund, though she would be paid only after its creditors got their money back. So an ETN investor would be in a better position than any shareholder in the bank. As well, ETNs have a smaller risk of errors in price tracking. Unlike an ETF, it's not trying to replicate an underlying index. It is obligated to do so, minus fees. Now, since an ETN is a loan, an investor has to assess the creditworthiness of the issuer. This is best exemplified by the collapse of the Lehman Brothers Bank in 2008, which we've talked about a few times in earlier shows. So the Lehman Brothers issued three ETNs, which it launched under the brand Opta in February of 2008. And then seven months later, the bank filed for bankruptcy. So those ETN investors, unfortunately, were stuck holding the bag for four years. And then they started to get some of their money back in 2012. But even until this day, we're midway through uh, November of 2018 these investors have still not been made whole. 
That's what can happen if you lend funds to a company that can't pay you back, whether it's done through a promissory note or a bond or an ETN. The disaster with the Lehman Brothers caused issuers and investors alike to move away from ETNs, and for that reason, they're not a particularly popular vehicle, and therefore they're not as liquid as ETFs. Importantly, ETNs are not like traditional loans. If you were to lend me $10,000, I've got to pay you back plus interest, but with an ETN, your principal can decrease if the underlying index goes down. It's not like it's a fixed loan amount plus whatever the index produces, otherwise that would be pretty amazing. The fact that an investment in an ETN is a loan gives you some protection because you can go after the bank if it goes bankrupt. But if the bank doesn't go bankrupt and the index just doesn't really perform well, then there's the high likelihood of you losing money, at least temporarily. Lastly, unlike traditional loans, ETNs don't usually make interest payments, so they're not really a great choice for income investors. Exchange-traded notes are a complicated product that in some circumstances can be great investment opportunities. If you're confident that the issuer can meet its obligations and that the underlying index is a good place to invest, then ETNs might be good for you. But you've got to do your due diligence as though you're investing in a bond that sort of acts like an ETF. Keep in mind that your principal is not and never is guaranteed. All right, so let's wrap it up here. Next week, we're going to look at something called an index fund. These are pretty similar to exchange-traded funds, but there are some differences that I think are important to learn. Index funds are sort of like the mother and father of ETFs, so it makes sense to explore them. And like ETFs, there are a whole bunch of index funds that pay high amounts of income. Until next Wednesday, it'd be great if you could tap the subscribe button. Also, I'm getting more and more active on Twitter and YouTube, so feel free to follow me there. Thanks for stopping by, and I'll talk to you in a few days.